A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling choicey adult themes, as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. This is our conclusion episode for Golden Sun, the second book in the Red Rising saga. You better have completed that in order to listen to this first. We're very excited to talk about it and talk about the future of the series as we go forward. there this is cross and i'm pj and we are words and whiskey a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike we tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking think of us as your drunk weekly book club and this week in the drinking club i decided to create a custom cocktail so i'm excited to share that with everybody but first take it away crossland Today, we'll be doing our wrap-up episode on Golden Sun. This is our ninth episode for Golden Sun. We've got a really special guest joining us today. Today, we have Tib, a moderator of the Sons of Ares fan Discord and a huge fan of the series, chatting with us about all things Golden Sun and the first Red Rising book. Should be an absolute blast. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and like how you came to the series. Hi, I'm <clears throat> I'm Tib or Aiden. I don't really care if you call me by my first name or my username. But yeah, I'm a moderator of the Suns and Aries Discord, which is a growing dis- fan Discord for Red Rising specifically. I'm an aspiring artist, a big nerd, huge fan of the Red Rising series, been a fan since before Morningstar came out, and I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're we're super stoked. Definitely. It's always fun having other people on here. I'm not a huge drinker, so the so if I if I do get a little bit tipsy, this will be this will be fun. That's kind of the point. <laughs> that is a lie. It's kind the of the point, point. <laughs> of the podcast. Ah, nice little refreshing click there to the can. So with that, before we go into talking about all things Golden Sun, the wrap up and everything like that, let's talk about what we're drinking first. PJ, spill the beans on your custom cocktail that you're bringing to the floor today. So I created what I'm calling the golds of their eyes, which also has a little bit of a nod to Darrow's original heritage. It starts with an ounce of Powers Irish whiskey. Half an ounce of ginger simple syrup, two dashes of grapefruit bitters, and then I topped it with some homemade pineapple kombucha, and then uh, a lemon wedge kind of decoratively put over the lip of the glass. So That sounds delicious. I, I didn't know how it was going to turn out. It seemed like it was all going to kind of not mix well together, but it is actually delicious, and I'm, I'm going to keep this recipe and make it again sometime because it's really fucking good. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> but after that, I've got a beer from Blackstack. It's a collaboration between Blackstack Forager Brewery and Jack's Bottle Shop, which is a, uh, a bottle shop that just opened up from one of the former Forager Brewers. Double dry hop, double IPA, 8.9%. Yeah, should be good because both those breweries are phenomenal. So I'm excited for yeah. that one. Who do we want to go to next? Let's throw Let's it to Tim. next. Yeah. All right. I've got something pretty simple. It's just a maple old fashioned. <clears throat> so I've got some of this uh, fistful of bourbon. It's a five blend straight bourbon whiskey from a local uh, liquor shop. It's actually pretty good. I- I'm- I've been enjoying it. <clears throat> I've also got some orange bitter in-, in it as well. And then I've got a white claw on the side. Yes. <laughs> Bringing the- out the claw. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> There are no laws in the podcast any longer. <laughs> it, it will continue lawlessly. Yes. Yes. Yes, it will. There it is. I'll always crack mine, tab. too, so I don't have to do that later. And spill it nice. all over the place. There we go. 
Cool. All right. Well, and uh, follow follow us up, Grossland. What have you got? I am also having a custom cocktail that I made. I have for a very long time. I'm a big lover of Jones Soda Co. And the blueberry lemonade soda is my favorite thing on the planet. Legitimately. I, like, I, I remember I can, this. I remember I can drink you. like six of those. <laughs> I used to but, work at a distributor that carried them and I would bring them home in like, like by the case and they would be gone in less than a week. Just dude, from I, I'm, a, I'm a problem. <laughs> There's so much sugar. 35 grams of sugar. You won't believe it, but I actually added more sugar to the cocktail. Oh um, just completely separate. But I'm, I'm having a custom cocktail as well. Like I said, I've been trying to make something with this. I've tried vodka. I've tried whiskey. I've tried a variety of different things. I found the right Blanco tequila. And so on a whim, 20 minutes before the podcast, as opposed to doing the drink that I had planned, I threw this together and it's amazing. Everything's in milliliters because I didn't have anything that I could read that's clean. And I have a <laughs> little <dick>. beaker. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, a, it's effectively two <laughs> shots of Blanco tequila squeezed lemon wedge, three shots of the Jones soda and half a shot of simple syrup with a, you know, that squeezed lemon wedge and an icy boy. And okay. it is so good. This is amazing. And um, what did and you call it? Cool. It is the Orion G Aquira. <laughs> so named after Orion, our uh, fearless blue pilot of the packs. And it is, it is a glorious, like neon blue color. It's really pretty. It is, it is it really is pretty. Awesome. I'm so excited. Everything turned out. It looks amazing. It tastes amazing. It's fantastic. I'm following that up with a beer that I've talked about previously, but it is from Wilmington Brewing Company. It's the Kitten Biscuit. It's delicious. I think I have this within the original Red Rising book at one point. You did Lion great. Cakes one time. I think I talked about Lion oh, Cake you talked because about Kitten Lion Biscuit cake. is the little form of Lion Cake. Okay. I, I, gotcha, gotcha, I don't, gotcha. I haven't had Lion Cake since I originally visited here like two years ago. Gotcha. Because they haven't rebrewed it. But yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember you, you yeah. talking about how they just make a bunch of different animal like sort of drinks now to kind of to yeah, play off of that. Right, right. Because this was the, one of their big, crazy, well selling beers was Lion Cake. And so they've gone and kind of made derivatives of it. So Kitten Biscuit. I think is my favorite of the derivatives. It reminds me the closest of wine cake. It's not quite as full, but it's definitely still awesome. Oh, it sounds amazing. Yeah. Nice. So with that, we're going to get into kind of our free form. Let's talk about the book conversation. So to kind of kick us off, I want us to kind of go one at a time as to how we feel about this book as a whole. Tib and to the audience in general, just a reminder, PJ hasn't read past book two, obviously. <laughs> so let's just make sure when we're thinking about it, we uh, we rein it in so that we don't accidentally spoil things for our boy here. <sighs> I will boy. try as hard as the I boy can. Needs, <laughs> the boy needs yeah. to stay pure. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to spoil anything because spoiling book three would be bad. Oh, yeah, it would. <laughs> It definitely would. So how do we feel about this book as a whole, though? I'll uh, I'll throw it to Tib first. Oh, I absolutely love this book. In the entire series as a whole, Dark Age, Golden Sun, and Morningstar are my favorites. And they're all so close up top as like my favorite. It's really hard to pick between the three, which I think honestly speaks to Pierce Brown's writing style, especially as he's gotten, as he's matured, far more than probably my own personal taste. But I really, really love Golden Sun. It's, it's a great book. It has has incredible pacing and i think the cliffhanger at the end is is pretty pretty painful <laughs> i think painful is probably the right word too <laughs> like it's it's bad yeah it's painful <laughs> you just had to hold out for like two weeks at this point like <laughs> it's 
Yeah, I, I uh, I'm dying here, guys. <laughs> I don't know how you're doing it. Like I, so when I first read Golden Sun, uh, Morning Star wasn't out yet, and it, it took like a week for it to come out. And that week was hell. Just not knowing <laughs> no. what happened to Darrow or any of the others after that that last like battle at the feast. It's just. It's incredible. It's it's genuinely such a good cliffhanger that it it makes almost every single reader, or at least everyone I know that's read it, immediately want to pick up the next book. Mm-hmm. So did you align that intentionally so when you finish reading, you'd be lining it up to the release of the third book? I did not. I didn't even know the third book was coming out. Um, oh, and so... <laughs> Yeah, so I, I read the first one. My mom bought it on a on a, on a whim uh, when one of her friends recommended it, and that's that's really weird. First of all, because my mom just just doesn't buy books, and secondly, she's like pretty ultra religious, so like she doesn't buy books that aren't strictly for her religion. <clears throat> that was even more surprising that I came home and there's this there's this uh, book. It's black with a red red feather on it that's like on fire, and I'm like, oh, what is this? Or no, it's not on fire. That's Iron Wolf. My bad. But there's there's the you know the feather, and I'm like. Oh my god, what mm-hmm. is this? And like, I, I I read the first five pages, and immediately I was hooked. And I ended up buying all the books again with my own money. And that's when I was like a teenager, and I made like ten dollars a year, pretty much. Well, that was uh, that was good timing then. Yeah, no, it was it was really good timing. I was like, I was like, oh my god, this isn't like how how could this happen? I like immediately looked up the third book on Google, and it's like uh, the release date is like next week, and I'm like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, good. You know, that's that's such a cool story, especially thinking about the series, because I actually found it pre Dark Age. And that's where I had started the original Red Rising book. But like almost all of this original trilogy was there to unfold. And so, you know, kind of being there for the whole journey. I can't fucking imagine how stressful that was. And for those people that had Golden Sun when it came out, and they had to wait the year until Morningstar came out. Like, oh, my God, I can't even can't even process that yeah, emotionally. I'm doing pretty good job processing <laughs> it right now. Um, I would say that I was yeah, how pretty fucking <laughs> lucky to have that like coincidentally line up so perfectly. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> BJ, how do you feel? What's what were your thoughts? I think this is not a sl- sophomore slump. This this band has done great work for their second album. Um, no it was of all the books that we've read on here whether we published the episodes or not this is the best of them how how, that's great to hear what did you think of the improvement in pierce brown's writing style from book one to book two i mean looking at just the the emotion that gets pulled out constantly is so much more clean and so much more natural i think that's the biggest change but everything just is tighter snappier i can agree it flows It, it just flows very 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 easily Comparatively, even though the second half of Red Rising for sure had similar traits to it, this is just polished much more. I would so agree. I'm excited oh, yeah. to see if it if it continues to improve or if this is kind of where he found his footing and he's. I can tell you that he's continued to improve. He's continued to improve. Um, it just gets better. Yeah, it, Dark Age <laughs> anyway. is genuinely one of the. I would personally say one of the best bo- best books I've ever read. Like the wow. pacing in Dark Age, the action, how well, for lack of a better word, dark it is. Everything just mixed together creates this perfect blend that I just love. And I, I think we get that we get the sense of that too here as well, is that like the first book, as as kind of mentioned, even on the front page and the front cover and all of the booksellers, clearly were aiming this at an audience that like liked the Hunger Games. Yes. Because it does have those similarities, right? But the second book truly emerges. And shows that it is so much more. This is 
God, what's the end of the, what's the third book in the Hunger Games called? Uh, it's called it's Mockingbird, Mockingbird, or something like Mocking, that. Mocking, Jay. Mocking, Mocking Jay. Jay. Yep, Mocking Jay. This this book accomplishes everything that Mocking Jay was trying to do in terms of like political commentary in three times as eloquent of language with better characters. It's just strictly a better book and it escapes its baseline formula. It escapes the baseline formula of the battle arena genre to some degree or subgenre. I yeah, I would agree. I have a lot of issues with people who directly correlate the like when when they're when they're talking about Red Rising they're like, "Oh, it's like Hungry Games." It's like the only, only the first book has a very very small amount of kind of like Hunger Games sort of feel. Ish. But like yeah. even even then the Institute is just so much bigger of a game and it's it's not even a game it's 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 not done it's not done to population control or anything like that or just to control the population at all i mean population control isn't like uh killing people isn't it though it kind of is yeah well i said control the population not not the same way i was trying i was trying i was trying to make sure those were those were separated yeah like they're trying to control the people controlling the population (laughs) not population control two different things i mean they're doing both they're doing both but uh Hunger Games. I was a, I was a, yeah, I was a big yeah. fan of that series when I was younger. Uh, not so much more recently. Rereading them, they haven't held up very well. But I can, I can obviously like you can't deny the similarities between Hunger Games and the first book. But book two is really where Pierce Brown is like, okay, I need to cement myself as a sci-fi author. I need to, you know, separate myself from this sort of niche that I've written the first book in and the second book is really really where where pierce brown is able to kind of show how creative he is and like obviously there's there's going to be some issues here and there but in terms of second books from like series i feel like pierce brown's is pretty much better than the majority of sequels that i've read I 100% agree. PJ, who hasn't read a whole ton of books, of course, and that's part of the whole concept of the podcast. I mentally equated this at the beginning of our entire show, even at the beginning of Red Rising. I said Golden Sun was my favorite book. It's the Empire Strikes Back of books. Favorite book in the series, I should say. It's the Empire Strikes Back of books. Does that hold up mentally now that you've made it all the way through? Like you get kind of the same sort of like low point feeling that you get in Empire Strikes Back? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely holds up. But I do want to address Tib's comments on sort of cementing himself as something other than the author of the book that's kind of like The Hunger Games. It's interesting that he begins out with the Academy then, which is essentially like the same kind of thing mm-hmm. on a bigger scale. I think I think so. I, I think that that's interesting for sure. I feel like that's why he didn't specifically get into the Academy, right? Like we yeah. don't really see the whole Academy. Otherwise it would be, I think to some degree, like a, a continuation of the original plot thread yeah. of like, Oh, I'm a hungry games clone. You know, and I, I do. I, I would be interested in maybe seeing what would it be called? Not a mid cool mid cool. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Well, so the the only example that I can think of actually where someone's gone and done this, there are actually two. Patrick Ness did it with his uh, Knife of Never Letting Go series, and Stephen King did it with Wind Through the Keyhole, which is technically book four point five. So th- there is additional space, and I think with, for instance, the graphic novel that goes back and fleshes out Fitchner, knowing that as just the concept of the original Sons of Ares graphic novel they could do that they he could fill out that space and i think a lot of people would be interested 
in that space being fleshed out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, but I think it would have been derivative for him to write that right now as yeah. Golden Sun. You know, yeah, like think, it would have been. I think bad. that makes sense. I agree. Um, the three years or two or three years that is, uh, I think it's two. Actually, I'm totally blanking on how many years it is now. It, um, it's like two and a half to three years. It's, <laughs> so it's the, the two to three years. We've had this conversation <laughs> so many times I can never we, remember. We have. It's like two and a half years. I looked it up on the wiki. So like, hopefully the wiki's right. But it seemed like two and a half years is right. Yeah, I believe he's like 21 in Golden mm-hmm. Sun, which would mean that it was about three years after the end of Red Rising. Yep. I think he turns 21 to 22 inside of Golden Sun. Yeah. And then I know he's like 22 or 23 in. Yeah. Right. Okay. So he, he, he turns from 20 to 21 in Golden Sun. Moving on from that little bit. You know, I, I think that it is, it is so interesting that Pierce Brown truly grew as a writer between these books. I, I also like, I love, I love talking about Pierce Brown. I want to talk more about like the characters that are introduced here though. Who was like, your favorite new character that we had introduced in this book. We'll go with Tib first. And then oh, we'll to uh, oh, God. Um, I've got a list inside of the doc. First the character introduced in this book, I would say have to has to be Ragnar. Okay. My favorite character in this book that isn't necessarily introduced in this book, however, is Tectus. Mm. I think he's a very complex character and it yeah. he breaks my heart and I love him so much. Interesting. Tell me more. <clears throat> so why does he break your heart? He breaks my heart because he's such a comp. He's, he's, he's a lot more than, you know, just the, that kind of flamboyant sort of, you know, like bad guy where he, he was raised in, the, in a really harsh family that's really controlled a lot of aspects of his life. And he was essentially bullied his entire upbringing with his brothers. And I mean, they're all bullied by their family, which is why they all kind of turn out to be shitty people. And <laughs> yeah. Specifically, the part where Darrow describes where he bought Tactus a uh, violin and the then, Stradivarius. Yep. Yeah, the Stradivarius violin spending what, what do you say, like two thirds or a third of his bank account on it? Two thirds. Yep. Which is Augustus's bank account. So uh, that's quite a fucking bit of money. <laughs> yep. And Tact- he learns that Tactus sells it. And then later on, he learns that Tactus bought it back. And then Tactus. Later on, of course, the whole the whole stuff about Lorne and uh, that stuff, it's 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 painful. I, I really like Tactus, and I think he would have been such a good ally to Darrow. But uh, obviously, yeah, he also had his piece of shit moments, too. Yeah, you know? no, like, absolutely. it, it kind of goes A and B. Right. So there is kind of a tortured humanity to Tactus. But there's also this like very flawed exterior, which is what Lorne sees and immediately kills him because of that. Yeah. And it's. Like, we can't know whether or not Tactus would have ended up betraying Darrow again after that. But, like, in the right. moment, it very much feels like Tactus is genuinely like, okay, I'm on Darrow's side. Like, I'm, I'm done. And and we only get to, you know, relish that for a couple seconds uh, before Lauren kills him. And so it's 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 such a such a what if character who is obviously a piece of shit. He's a terrible person. In, in multiple instances of, you know, Red Rising and Golden Sun, like where he abandons uh, Darrow and, and takes Lysander out of the out of the ship as they're leaving uh, Luna. Like he betrays them. He probably deserved to die, but he's one of those characters that I see parts of myself in. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the bad stuff, but like he's of all the characters as a whole. Pierce Brown has such a way of writing them as human. To where they often have these very 
you know, human flaws, selfishness, uh, that sort of thing, you know, like craving for power, that, that sort of shit. And you know, that's, that's pretty typical in books, but I feel like Pierce Brown typically tends to write his characters in a way that just makes them feel a little bit more natural, which helps even the bad ones helps you like them, which is not something I've found in a lot of other books, at least not something that's made me feel this way. Yeah, they're, they're definitely well fleshed out and well relatable in in every way. How'd you feel, PJ, about Tactus and Tactus's death? I know we got into it a little bit. I think it was I think it was necessary upon thinking about it more. Mm-hmm. I was I was kind of gri- like grappling with the idea of why why would Lorne have reacted so harshly for something that didn't actually happen? Like he didn't he didn't actually do anything to his grandchildren, but he the intent was there and the the steps towards those actions were there and the threat was very very physical like it, it was yeah. um yeah. tangible and and as we learned later he was sorry about it he he came around in seeing Darrow's point of view but regardless he man he was such a complex character and the the interaction between Darrow and Roke talking about him and how he was secretly learning to play the violin again and like not learning yeah. how to play, but learning a learning a concerto for Darrow to perform for him. Yeah, to, to surprise him. It's oh, yeah, yeah. it hurts total, so much. Total gut wrenching. Because yeah. I, I'm so. <clears throat> oh, sorry, I, I was going to say no, no, no. Um, go ahead, go ahead. I'm the type of person that loves redemption stories. I crave them, and so we got a touch of his redemption, and then dead. And it's honestly such a fitting end for him. Um, as as painful it is as it is for me, it's it's a fitting end because there's no way to, for any of them really and and uh, to tell whether or not he would have stayed with them, and especially uh, after if he had learned Darrow's uh, true identity, I don't know if Tactus would have stayed. So killing hmm. him was probably the right choice. As you know, that's actually seems. a really good call. That's an interesting thing that I hadn't considered. Yeah, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know I if think he would have been team broke. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I think having to choose between a red or Roke, he would have chosen Roke. I think it would, al- it would have also driven probably more of his friends away because it would have sort of reinforced the, the thought that even if some of these bonds break, I can get them back. I, I want to tie a bow on that little bit of a conversation because I actually want to get into the friendship and the mediation and meditation on like the idea of friendship and trust in the next question. But PJ, who is your favorite new character? I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's any well. surprise to anybody that I will be Cavex when I grow up. Cavex <laughs> or Ragnar? Cavex. I, nice. I will absolutely be this giant bumbling old man who barely speaks coherently and feeds jelly beans to a strange pet. Like that's amazing. <laughs> that's not what I expected to be your answer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, it's great. I also relate to Kavex. Um, he's, he's one of my favorite characters as well. And um, I relate to him because I am a very tall person. Um, I'm kind of bigger and I have red hair. So like, Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> if I it, like, I, I call myself a Talamanus on the Sons of Aries server. 
And that's that's because that's why is because I'm I'm kind of you know bigger than average, and I'm a ginger. Even though the the majority of the Telmanus family isn't actually ginger, only uh, Kavax has a dyed beard. <clears throat> I, I just relate with the family and I love it. So I, I'm a Telmanus. You're in heart. six four. I am. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. PJ six seven. Just for oh context. wow. Okay. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. you're even more so. <laughs> PJ's a monster. <laughs> my my younger brother is six foot eight. So um, oh, nice. that, that motherfucker is is up there. <laughs> mm-hmm. PJ's got seven foot tall cousins, I which do. is that just nuts. Right, PJ PJ is the shortest one in some family photos, what? which is just Not like the shortest. Crazy. Definitely, Not, well, in you know, like it's it it's astonishing how that is ha- how it has been handled. Meanwhile, I'm sitting over here at like a casual five eleven. Like yeah, all my friends are over six feet tall. Like I'm, I'm fucked in every photo. My yep. older brother is five foot eleven, and he claims he's six foot tall because he's just embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> oh good. Oh man. Oh man. That's hilarious, though. Cavax. I can't believe that Cavax is your choice, though. It's so I'm, funny. N- without question, without hesitation, it is Cavax. I love it. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> Okay, so before What's we yours? move into oh mine, uh, in this book that got introduced, man, I actually have like a deep fondness for Aja and Victra. Like I'm torn between choosing either of them. Okay. I think Aja is very complex because she has an absolute demand to be the right arm of the sovereign, and also has like a loyalty to Lorne and is truly kind of the Armin enforcer. But I see her as a very human character. She is an unquestioning right hand. And I think that makes her really interesting in a different way because she's so loyal. She's so profoundly loyal to Octavia. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to push back on you a little bit because I didn't see any loyalty towards Lorne at any point. I saw a little bit of fondness and I saw some loyalty from Lorne towards Aja, but I, I didn't see anything going that way. I got to agree with PJ here, actually. You have to agree with PJ? Is that yeah, yeah. I don't think that Aja has a huge loyalty to Lorne. I think she has more of a, a nostalgic love for me. Maybe a Maybe. respect as well. Maybe. I the, the reason that I think that it's a sort of adoration and love and respect, we can put whatever terms on it that we want for Lorne, I think no, no, no. I, I think Aja, I think you're right about adoration, love, and respect. Yeah, I don't think loyalty. Yeah, I think she does have loyalty. Here's why I think she has loyalty. She would have absolutely, given everything we know about Aja, would have snucked up on Lorne and killed him in cold blood had she had the opportunity to. And I think she did in the garden. And part of the reason that she resists that urge to just cut down Darrow and Lorne in those moments is strictly because of loyalty to Lorne. That's, that's my thought, okay. at the very least, on the reason that she wouldn't approach Lauren, and she has so much respect. Lauren Counter also has a ton of respect for Aja, saying, like, you don't want to fight a fucking river. Like, <laughs> you don't fight a river, you don't fight Aja. Right? It's like the line. So mm. that's terrifying in context. That's that's a really good thing to pick up on. I actually didn't pick up on that. So I, I, I'm on the fence now. <laughs> I don't know. I, fair, fair. I need some more proof, but I, I can I can agree <laughs> with that argument that you made. I, I also think Victra has such a crazy character arc inside of the story. She's introduced 
She is unflappable. Her loyalty is constantly questioned by everyone around her. Mm-hmm. And yet she's the most loyal character, more so than Aja is. Oh, yeah. Um, and just until the literal end, which gets shot and she dies on that floor, you know, like it's just so shocking. She's got such a good story inside of the story. And she never got the booty. She never got the booty. She never got the booty. <laughs> it's it's so unfortunate, but you know I I love Victra. Those are those are my two. If I had to pick, I'm a big fan of it, Victra. I love her. Um, and her her demise at the end of Golden Sun is is painful as well. Yeah. And I I, I find something I find really interesting about uh, Victra that that you mentioned already is that she is kind of questioned by everyone, including Darrow. Like. After his meeting with the Jackal and the bomb explodes and takes out that entire like uh, bar pretty much in the in the low area, Darrow asks the Jackal if it was Victra who did it, even though Darrow knows who did it. I can't tell if he's just trying to sow like distrust or what, but I think it, my, my read on that was that he was he understood that she was kind of the black sheep. And okay. kind of distrusted from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So leaning into that pre-existing perception of her as a scapegoat. Okay. In the moment. That's that's kind of what I was thinking. But um, at the same time, it was like the fact that he even tried that speaks volumes about how people think about her. Mm-hmm. The fact that he thinks that someone would be able to uh, be like, okay, yeah, it's Victra. <clears throat> right. Definitely. Uh, Victra is is one of the most complex characters in this book. And I think she gets overlooked a lot because she does have this like innate kind of sexual desire towards Darrow. And that's kind of, it's kind of played off as almost a humorous thing because Darrow's so he he doesn't want those advances. He wants Mm -hmm. Mustang. That's the only thing that he wants at this point. Even he's constantly questioning that. And so I think she kind of gets this like humorous perspective inside of this book, but I don't think I don't find it funny I guess that's maybe just a me thing, but like I, I think it like she is very serious and sincere and he takes it as deception because that's all that he's used to. And I truly actually believe that there is a reality in which Darrow and Victra made a lot of sense together. I, I don't put them together because I feel like she's too strong of a character. If that makes any sense, she's too headstrong. And that's not sort of like Darrow. He likes Mustang. He gets along well with Mustang. But Victor is a completely different type of headstrong. Yeah. And I don't think they would have worked super well together. But, I mean, it, I, I definitely... Uh, the All their interactions, um, as, as you know, uh, you said, they're supposed to be kind of funny. I do find the humor in them. But I don't find it necessarily funny. I, like, I can see the humor. And I recognize the irony. And that's where the humor comes from. But... Victor herself, I, I don't see her as a as a character that would have necessarily gotten along super well with Daryl in a romantic sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think she would have gone along with him? I think she would have, but that's... I think she wouldn't have. Hmm. Like, okay, okay. Friends? We'll take that, we'll parse it, we'll leave it there. <laughs> I want you two to fight about it. I, I just think friends, I can't friends, and a, friends and a little more is mm-hmm. is the absolute max they would have gone i think i think that lovers is, or or romantic at all would have caused some issues with them <clears throat> in strictly more of that sort of uh you know getting to see darrow's romantic side and you know kind of seeing more of him than that in that sense 
Okay. You know, I, I think the problem with any part of this relationship lies with Darrow because he is just innately untrusting. And if he had the ability to open up and trust truly and fully, as opposed to questioning Victra and kind of like pointing her out as a like classic pixie gold where it's like, oh, you're just a pixie. Like you just want to fuck people they, like that. His like innate attitude towards her is a part of the problem. Yes, mm. she does have this like natural seductress desire attitude about her but that doesn't necessarily mean that i don't think that she was i i think that she was very serious about like the 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 whole gambit of like them having a relationship and i think it would have been more than okay could she have been making a power play potentially and there are a number of other like questions that linger there but i i think that i sincerely believe that victra is at least like if we're considering mustang more than 50% compatible, meaning they're a match. Victra's right there, like 46 or 47% compatible, like totally fits the bill, would fit Darrow if he didn't have another immediate option. She's definitely the second best option that we've been presented with. But yeah, I, I can't help but think that like she is close if Darrow was a trusting person, which is the entire concept of this book is he's not trusting at all. I would say sec- second best option that's, uh, or at least was alive. <laughs> well, <that's fair. laughs> I, I would Eo's say that EO and uh, Mustang are his top two. <laughs> Seeing as uh, EO is now out available. of the <laughs> Let's call it available. <laughs> that, that's fair. Okay. Available. <laughs> I, I agree though. I, I don't, I don't think that they would have been necessarily like, completely incompatible um i would agree that they're probably near the like 40 49 48 yeah i just i don't know um there's definitely there's there's a lot there that i i don't have the experience to really pick up on i guess sure sure mm-hmm. well i i think that's a fair point like i had mentioned um kind of the core theme i kind of want to dive into this a little bit Cooks. i've got a bit of a block text as far as it goes to reading do we have any other thoughts here before i move into the relationship question the, oh, I thought I thought you were going to talk comments? about cooks. Oh no, 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 no! We'll get to that in book three. <laughs> I, I already know what chapter I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Don't worry about it. I, I think I think while Darrow's lack of trust in general can be seen as a weakness, I feel like it's kept him like it is what kept him alive this long. In this yes. situation, like I, I, I don't think that should be thought about too lightly, because he he exists because of his lack of trust. There are so many True. times when he could have could have spilled the beans about it and could have been just cut down instantly. Speaking of trust, I think we should. <clears throat> um, I don't know if Cross has this uh, plan for you know later in the in the talk, but um, I think we should talk about. Severo and Darrow specifically. Yeah. So I want to get into this whole concept and I want this to be the next thing that we talk about. So got a bit of a bit of bit of a monologue here. So bear with me. Now that we're through the book, I'd like to mediate a second on relationships contained throughout. Right. We've got Severo, which is an obvious one. Mustang and Roke, I think, are probably the three biggest relationships. We also have Lorne as the distant mentor who's important. You can talk about him as well. While Mustang is obviously the most obvious and prominent relationship displayed throughout the novel, I think the relationship and neglect of Roke is important to discuss. I think it's plausible that Roke would have been similarly conflicted as Mustang is in the scene of the tunnel and everything else oh, if yeah. Darrow would have actually made the decision to let him <clears throat> in. You know, I, I want to fill out this quote. 
He folds his hand gently, a teacher arriving to a point. So do I feel lost? Always. When Leah died at the Institute, his lips slipped gently downward. I was in the dark woods, blind and lost as Dante before Virgil. But Quinn helped me, her voice calling me out of misery. She became my home. And as she puts it, home isn't where you're from. It's where you find light when dark, when all grows dark. He grasps the top of my hand. Find your home, Darrow. It may not be in the past, but find it and you'll never be lost again. And I think that this, that quote specifically early on in the book, thumbs like sums up the entire experience we discussed last week with him going home and all of kind of the revelations that happen, as well as the sacrifices that he makes for his friends and friendships, but he doesn't make for woke. Like there's, there's such a, this entire book kind of rotates, I think in my head around this one quote, which is that find your home Darrow may not be in the past, but find it and you'll never be lost again. I don't know. I I just like every time I think about it, there's this albatross of the sacrifice of EO hanging around his neck. There's the friendships that he's lost with Severo or not. He almost lost with Severo. He didn't really lose it. You know, it's meme memes and unicorn porn and everything else, (laughs) but completely lost with Roke. Right. Because he couldn't trust and plan on the future. Instead, he was stuck in the past. And he, he never really admitted anything to anyone until Mustang in that last second. Right. So I, I had a little bit of a different take on this, this quote. It, sure. He seemed kind of like that obnoxious person that you know that finally like <laughs> finds love and thinks he has it all figured out. So he's talking oh down to you. <laughs> like... That's that's the feeling I got from that quote was really I, find your home, man. I didn't I get know, that weird. feeling from that quote because Roke has always been sort of the poetic person. Yeah, that's um, fair. So I, I took that as sort of his just personality, you know, him him just pulling out a uh, you know, some sort of lyric or uh, <clears throat> um, some sort of poem or, you know, some sort of like quote-unquote deep thing uh, that he likes to pull out of nowhere to <laughs> give to people as advice. Um, as, as someone that's frequently compared to Roke, I hate that you said that. <laughs> Quote-unquote deep. Viscerally offended. Viscerally offended. Oh, God. Continue. I didn't know you were... <laughs> it's mostly by me. It's fine. It's I'm fine. mostly the one that compares him to Roke. Um, yeah, PJ and Bing. We're both like, oh, yeah, Cross is Roke. That's right. <laughs> That's funny. That's that's really funny. <laughs> Roke is one of those characters that I have I have so many thoughts for, and I can't really get into a lot of them until after Morningstar. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be trying trying really hard to not go into spoiler territory here. But Roke is a fascinating character. You know, I've I've had friends that are the same sort of you know uh, deep and like poetic sort of personality and. I have a lot of love for Roke, a lot of love for him. Uh, and I definitely think that he's one of the characters that would have sided with Darrow had Darrow. I'm waiting for the butt him. here. So hard. There's a butt. I'm a butt actually coming. not planning for a butt. I'm just a little bit tipsy right now. So my, my yeah. sentence structure might be a little <laughs> bit loose. <laughs> like Roke is the character that has so much potential to be such a good ally. And be like the best friend for Daryl. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And it's just the 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 the, the part where I specifically see the the rift between Daryl and uh, Roke start. 
is at the gala when he tranquilizes him and knocks him out. And in order to, you know, you save him from the explosion, which makes Roke distrust Darrow because, you know, Darrow didn't let him in on what was going on. And that's where I see the rift between Darrow and Roke start. And rereading was really painful. Do you think that's the point where Roke starts to become suspicious of Darrow's involvement with, uh, with the sons, with the sons? He, he has a good excuse with the fight with the Bolognas. Yeah, I don't think that Roke thought he was a son at that point. I don't think that even crossed his mind, but I do know that he was... Oh, the explosion doesn't go off, does it? No. no. It right, they, okay, they never mind. They never blow up. <clears throat> yeah, the, the, right. the, the, he never blows up because he ends up, instead of blowing up the gala, he ends up having that fight with Cassius because he realizes that this is not something that Eo wants. This is this is against Eo's dream. And so he completely drops the plan uh, that Harmony made to explode the gala and kill the 2,000 golds that are there. And instead, he has that fight with Cassius and then, uh, you know, almost beats Cassius, almost kills Cassius. And then the uh, Octavius stops that, which causes that huge rift between all of the golds and starts a sort of civil war. So casualty wise, this was a better choice. Got rid of more golds in the long run. Yeah, true. <laughs> Definitely. True. No, I agree. Um, Fair point. <laughs> better than the bomb. Harmony wasn't thinking straight. Clearly. <laughs> Clearly, the better choice is to start a civil war and let them kill themselves. God, I hate Harmony so much. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I mean, just like the general thoughts of trust and relationships as they feed through the novel, right? Like this is the core theme Mm -hmm. for a lot of the novel is kind of the the sort of closeted story of Dara being a red and kind of moving into the whole conversation about generally telling his friends about like what he is over time. Uh, Tivit earlier mentioned like Severo, obviously, and sort of the insight there. I I will say that there was a comment on how Roke might have reacted similarly to Mustang. If that's what I thought. Yeah. Mentally. And I I think that's true, but only before the gala. Yes. I think Um, any any earlier time would have been more violent because this, this friendship was mending. That's true. Okay. Wait real quick. Do you think it was the friendship was mending over the course of this book? I thought it was breaking up over the course of the book. Uh, no, it was no, mending no. at the very beginning, and then it breaks up completely after that. As soon as Darrow goes down to meet with the Jackal, that's when him and Rogue's yeah. relationship is just done. <clears throat> in terms of friends, anyway, in this book. And I don't know, it's just like, it's such a complex, complex, you know, intertwine of, of different yarn. Mm-hmm. And... Something I find, okay, slightly different tangent. Pierce Brown doesn't write down, like, major things in... uh, No, he's a total pantser when it comes to writing, which is nuts to me. He's off the cuff of his pants. He's great themes. I do not know how he does it. My my friend is uh, is an aspiring author. My best friend. And he is, honestly, a genuinely amazing author. I love his work. Although he's not published yet. And I say yet because I know it's going to (laughs) happen. I have that I have that amount of faith, but his his writing, <laughs> like the amount of of research I see my friend put in and the amount he's written about his world in binders. He has like, I think, three or four binders full of information just about the world and how it works in so that he's able to keep this sort of really uh, tight grip on 
on that so he doesn't have any sort of plot holes and whatnot. And there are a couple plot holes with uh, the first couple books of Red Rising. And <clears throat> Pierce Brown has come up later just like, oh yeah, that's kind of a joke now. <laughs> like, it's canon. <laughs> like, yeah. In in the first book, uh, there's supposed to be 12 houses. He accidentally names a 13th. Yeah, and right. now the canon is that there are 13 houses. And yeah, it's... This isn't really spoiler, but later on he accidentally names a 13th knight as well. And that's a joke, a callback to accidentally naming a 13th house. Because uh, it's between him and his editor to be like, oh, you know, I accidentally made this mistake on the first book. Let me make it again later on. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. There's there's a decent number of good inside jokes that Pierce Brown is like, oh, fuck, I fucked that up. Um, hmm. Okay, let me just like... This is fine. So <laughs> you, you're, you're speaking some parts like lore wise, metatextually. Yeah. Lore, lore wise, he doesn't write anything down because, like, unless he's a genius at Roman history, I feel like he'd have to have some sort of reference text. Well, he, he Fact, does. He um, is a genius at Roman history. He <laughs> factually, I we I had this exchange with him on Twitter that he literally reads meditations every morning, like Ryan Holiday, person that I mentored under. Um, and you know, like everything else, like it's just nuts. He's, Mm -hmm. he's deep stoic. Pierce Brown, like, I I didn't mean to, uh, insinuate that he didn't, he doesn't do his research. He absolutely does his research. I meant more just like having, having sort of notes. Yeah. He doesn't keep notes about his world or his, uh, characters specifically, which is why you occasionally run into, uh, a plot hole here and there. And, And to be fair, for Pierce Brown, kind of riding off the cuff of his pants like that, it's impressive how few plot holes there are. Yeah. <clears throat> like, I can only think yeah. of, like, two or three. Sure. It's fair. Yeah, that's, uh, that is impressive. Speaking of plot holes, in this book, which of the plot twists were you surprised most by? What the fuck kind of segue is with? that, Crossland? <laughs> it's my segue. It uses, it use, they both use the word plot. All right. Right. <laughs> Speaking of plot holes... <laughs> you idiot all right plot Deviant twist motherfucker is what you meant instead of idiot but we'll take, we'll take idiot fitchner fitchner being Fitchner's. aries i yeah god which twist fitchner being aries was a huge huge twist i think even more so for me personally was finding that Severo knew mm. and that he accepted him and loved him anyway. That's <clears throat> like, obviously Severo yeah. is, you know, half, uh, he's, he's not norm, a normal gold. Uh, so he, he kind of has that outsider opinion. So like, it doesn't surprise me that much because of that, but like any gold taking Darrow's side was surprising to me. Um, so, that's a that brings up a curious question that I don't know if we've addressed yet. Severo was approached by Ares on his way from Pluto. Does that mean he knew that his dad was Ares the entire time? Also, I don't I think, think so. so. I don't. Think you don't so. think so? Okay. Um, I Continue. think that Fitchner purposely kept Severo outside of his entire sphere of Ares, and that was for multiple reasons to keep him safe. Do you think he could hide who he is? Like, <clears throat> so to hide I, who he is, uh, especially, but like in the Sons of Ares comic books, they kind of go over this a little bit more. Fitchner had a scare with Severo when Severo was a baby. And so Fitchner is, is very careful uh, with the entire, you know, identity of Severo's mom and 
Mm-hmm. All of that. He's very careful with that. And I don't think that he lets Severo in on it. So the, so the more that I think about it too as well, real quick, the the component that I think gives off that Severo actually didn't know specifically that Fitchner was Ares is the fact that he actually learned his heritage. I think the book says three days before they have that giant scene before they go to the triumph, right? Before everything happens mm-hmm. with the group of generals effectively with like Fitchner, Severo, everyone else that's in the Sons of Air, Dancer and Darrow are having that conversation. I think he's like, I found out my heritage like five days ago, boyo, and like starts to say all of the like red slang as though he's like grown up with it. Yeah. (laughs) Which (laughs) funny, of course, but also, also I think that speaks to his ignorance, right? Like he doesn't actually know. Yeah. Okay. I definitely think that Severo didn't know. What was that? Sorry. Uh, I said, I I definitely think that Severo didn't know about any of that. Yeah, especially not his own history and whatnot, because he was very, very ingrained in the gold culture and that sort of stuff. He definitely comes out of that uh, in Golden Sun. And I think his meeting with Darrow, where he's trying to insinuate that he knows what Darrow is and he's trying to get Darrow to just tell him and be honest. Otherwise, he'll leave forever. That's a pretty fucking heavy scene. Because you have you have the perspective of Darrow where he's he's so caught up in fear of people finding out what he is and then he has his best friend and the first time seeing him in like years his best friend comes home and is telling him to tell me what the secret is or i'm leaving can you imagine having some sort of secret identity and someone saying that to you hey clark i mean if you're a batman (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're with different metaphors but good (laughs) hey clark i saw you flying (laughs) <laughs> so you flying last who's week. that guy without the glasses he <laughs> <laughs> looks kind of like you do it's like no no i on weekends i do D not <laughs> superman i'm not superman i mean i own a cape but it's a vampire cape <laughs> <laughs> i'm dracula not superman so uh something i'd like to talk about i want to specifically talk about the characters that we had die inside of this book we talked about tactus a little bit we talked about Victra, I think, efficiently. But we also have Fitchner, Leto, Pliny, and Carnus as a couple of big death notes to talk about. So I think we start off, we'll move backwards to the important characters. How do we all feel about Carnus dying? Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, I didn't really care. <laughs> I mean, I, I wanted him to die. I guess it's like the counter. Like, I, he needed to die in my head. Like, I was excited that he was dead. I I think he was a really interesting villain, though. Even more than Cassius is. Like, he, he hmm. seemed he seemed more influential and more of an opposing threat. Interesting. Than Cassius. Because Cassius, in my mind... It's a it's a it's a schoolyard grudge that's kind of playing out over an extended period of time. I don't think of him as as a rooted member of the the society that Darrow's fighting. He seems mm. it seems more of an insulated fight. Even though I know that's not what it is, just the way I imagine it, having having very quickly experienced them as teenagers and friends growing into this only a couple of years later, like these kids are younger than I am than we are. And I'm supposed to take him as the big bad. And uh, it, it's hard to it's hard to make that connection. So Carnus to me seemed he was older. I mean, not by much, but he seemed older and just more more imposing. So that, I don't know why that's how I felt about it. But Carnus to me was one of those characters that wasn't fleshed out enough. Yeah. 
I definitely think that he was a big bad. And, you know, he's sort of made out to be that. But that's only made in Golden Sun. And then Golden Sun kind of ends that as well. And it's mm-hmm. it, yeah. it's kind of such a such a bound to the book specifically that I don't have a whole lot of thoughts to it, you know, having the knowledge of the entire series. Because he's such a minor character in in scope of the entire series that yeah, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts about him. It seemed like he was being set up to be a much bigger part of the story as well. Especially with him getting a quote on one of the uh like part breaks mm-hmm. it was his mud quote right yeah like the the consistent Rise so high in mud you lie or something like that right 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 it's effectively like a reinterpretation of Icarus. Yeah. fly yeah. fly so high in mud you lie well i think it's rise so high whatever yep <laughs> what whatever. whatever but but it is it is an icarus metaphor it is like that's that's sort of the undertones yeah so yeah. that that also brings up Darrow's second call sign, which was never, never mentioned again after the Iron Rain as Icarus. Mm. Is it a callback to that? Probably. I, I, I think it's all internal. I, I agree. Yes. Knowing Pierce, or not knowing Pierce Brown, but uh, knowing his writing style and how he kind of, you know, has inside jokes like that, I absolutely would not be surprised. Yeah, mm-hmm. because the next chapter is Ruin and like the chapter opens up being called mud and so it it all and like that quote is also called out twice inside of that chapter rise so high in mud be you lie or inside of that section excuse me he repeats it to him yeah he repeats it to him as he kills him so it, it kind of feels like the icarus narrative to some degree is reversed because he's like you flew too high too close to the sun i'm putting you down even though originally it's it's the other way right like darrow's yeah. the one being put down there's just there's so much pointing to that to that quote and to Carnus in general and i didn't know Carnus well enough to care enough about that it's fair that's fair and i think that's the problem with Carnus's characters that he doesn't get enough characters characterization mm-hmm. you know his, his character isn't super super fleshed out or deep or you know doesn't have a whole lot of depth and I, I think that would have been helped by having the Academy being yeah. shown more. But as we discussed, it was probably the right move not to. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think that it should have, he should have spent more time on the Academy than uh, he did. I would love some sort of like side comic or side story about that because mm-hmm. it definitely sounds I, interesting. All, all I'm saying is that's where that's where Carnus would get fleshed out, I think. I agree. Yeah, um, at, least, at, at least as a, vil- a, a villain, he would be a lot more fleshed mm-hmm. out. Right. So I think that we can move on from Carnus. I want to talk about like Pliny and Leto in conjuncture because I think they, they just go together naturally. Leto is killed very early in the story of of course, but originally he's kind of painted as a Darrow replacement to some degree for Augustus. Yeah, and I feel like we, Pliny. we don't really get We don't much. get a lot of Lido, but we get yeah. a lot of Pliny. We do get a lot of Pliny. Oh god, I hate Pliny yeah. so much. <laughs> um, we Pliny, did, we did discuss politician. I guess we've, we've we should address, because there's been a few of these, just pronunciation if it matters at all. I think Kavix we pronounce, pronounce differently between all three yeah. of us. I say Kavix. Yeah, Cavax. I, I go by I go by the audiobook narrator. That's yeah. Like Except my, for Pliny, Pliny, the audiobook calls him Pliny. Interesting, right, I, which I've seems heard wrong. Pliny for my entire life. So <laughs> yeah. I don't think I can ever say elder. Pliny. It's it, it's Pliny in my head. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> Pliny would be two ends. I think I would yeah. agree. Uh, like vo- in terms of like grammatically, I think it would be two ends. Like mm-hmm. Pliny sounds like the more correct, uh, you know, pronunciation. So we've got two characters left to talk about. 
speaking ill of the dead characters. Mm-hmm. And I think they're the two biggest, though, <laughs> which is the other part of this. So speaking we've got Fitchner and Lorne. Well, this entire section has been speaking ill of the dead characters, but like, not really. <laughs> okay. You know, they're, they're just dead. Right, right. So we've got Lorne, we've got Fitchner to talk about yet. So which do we want to talk about first? Lorne. I adore Lorne. He is a moralistic space racist. <laughs> He's got good morals and a good grounding <laughs> and has solid ideas and thinks that he could make it work, but also understands the futility of the idea freedom in the context that he's inhabited. We've talked about this before where Lorne has been so pinned to the ideas that he's believed um, that he's been trained over 110 years inside of society to believe. And so he is just stuck kind of in a, in a rotten pattern. And finally near the end before he dies, he kind of breaks free of that. And he's like, you know what? I actually did make a mistake. You are an inspiration to people. He's talking with Darrow. But otherwise, he is a core stoic who believes that the only thing that you can immediately impact are the people around you. And he teaches and raises his family in a way that he can impact the people around him best. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's a very interesting character because of that. Doesn't mean he's not a space racist, though. Yeah, he is. <laughs> but, I, mean, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of all space racists, so you kind of have to, or the majority of them. Even <clears throat> so you kind of have to put that aside when you're judging their characters. It's hard, yeah. So, like, <clears throat> Darrow's planning more? mass genocide on an entire race. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> fair. <laughs> is he though? No, not anymore. But he was. <laughs> Lorne is is an interesting character. I, I love Lorne. I, I mean, I, I pretty much love every single character. It's it's kind of hard not to. Even the bad ones, they're they're fun. But Lorne himself, I feel like is is a character that was really misled by Darrow. I don't think he would have stuck with Darrow if he had known Darrow was red. No, I don't think he would have. I think he's one of the few very truly lawful good characters that we've yes. seen. Yes, agreed. He is putting it on the D and D spectrum, a hundred percent lawful good. Yeah, he, on the D and D spectrum, where would you put Roke? I think also lawful neutral. Lawful neutral, I think would be I'm probably stuck yeah, between lawful neutral and lawful good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he exists inside of that top end spectrum. He definitely he doesn't veer to bad. He definitely understands that sometimes morals are different than laws, and he he That's will true. typically. I think he would typically choose to follow his morals rather than follow the the letter of the law. It's fair. That said, I think you're right. It's probably towing that line a little bit. Yeah, I, I, he's definitely in between for me. I really, I really think that Lauren not only toes the line, but he kind of. Uh, the other part that I think is so interesting about Lauren, he he obviously toes that line that we've been talking about, but he also has very direct Marcus Aurelius insights and Epictetus insights. He's not so I love Stoics. It's been talked about a couple of times on the podcast. He is more of the grounded school of Marcus Aurelius in terms of being an emperor, a leader, a warlord, and kind of changing the paradigm, as Pierce Brown might enjoy saying, <laughs> of uh, of Roman culture. And he really, he really did like kind of shake it up in a lot of different ways. Lorne embodies that attitude, but he never actually seizes it. Right? He is constantly on the verge of like, I could have a better life, but I feel this demand to like also appeal to people. And so that's why he's the rage knight for so long. He does these things until he finally decides to separate himself out and go to the rim moons and, you know, like take out his own time and his own family and like remove them 
from the negative life of society. And mm-hmm. I think that's such an interesting complication in terms of his character, because he finally recognizes that the system that he's taken a part of for so long isn't good or beneficial mm-hmm. to him and, I, and others. I, I often forget how old Lorne is. So he's not just yeah. been in the society for 50 years. He's been for 112 or something like that. Like, yeah, he dies this, at 111. This motherfucker so. is old. He's as old <laughs> yeah. as Bilbo. Yeah. Yeah, Bilbo Baggins. So, like, <laughs> he has his entire, you know, childhood ingrained with this gold culture. And even he wants to separate his family from that. <clears throat> and I think that shows that there are people in the society who are able to kind of separate themselves from it a little bit and recognize, hey, this is what the society does that I do not agree with. And he takes his family and kind of, you know, pulls them outside of that to Europa. Is that right? Yep. And he kind of pulls them out to there and, uh, you know, has them on his own island, which is protected by his griffin and all that shit. Like he he has he has them pretty separate from society. And in terms of, you know, thinking about someone as powerful as Lorne, who is literally one of the best razor wielders in society i think the fact that he even he wanted to separate himself from you know octavia and the rest of society speaks volumes yeah yeah he's got his own school right and i feel like the other Mm -hmm. quote that sticks with me that kind of feeds into that is a boy throws stones a fool steals kisses a man gives his heart right so kind of the three stages of like different enlightenment and I feel like he has hit a point where he is at a man gives his heart, where he's escaping sort of the, the tyranny of society. And that's why he decided to move to the Rim Moons is because he realized that, like, there was no heart inside of the society. It was cold and dead, if you want to want a direct comparison. And it just it feels he, now he is. He just feels. Sorry. Well, now he is. <laughs> sad. <laughs> so sad that Lorne dies that way. You know? It's upsetting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Other other thoughts on Lorne? All I'm thinking about is his griffin right now. Did they leave Icarus? Him? Yeah. Was it Icarus? Yeah. Yep. Oh, I didn't realize that. Is Icarus on the on Europa? Or did I they take so. it with him? Or did they take didn't, him with them when they evacuated the planet? Didn't Icarus die? No. I'm not sure. I'm not, not sure. No. I can't remember. Did. No. <laughs> because right at the end, they talk about the things that we just, didn't we just read this p- paragraph? How he'll never see his griffin again. He'll never see his family. He'll never see his grandchildren. I don't recall any specific instances in which he uh, first dies. Yeah, here, here we go. Tries to say something, but his fo- uh, body has quit him. He will never see his island again. Never pet his griffin. Never hear his grandchild oh, yeah. gr- or gen- grandchildren laugh or see Lysander, the grandson I promised him. So that, to me, implies that the griffin's still alive. Okay, so the griffin is still alive. Yeah. Does, is this another spoiler moment indirectly? No. No. No, no. no. Totally irrelevant. Okay. I've got shifty eyes towards my monitor I, right now. I would assume <laughs> that the griffin is currently He's still with the Arco's family. <laughs> It's it's probably a sort of similar situation as as uh, Sophocles. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I think like what I think pet. what Darrow has to do now he has to take the Griffin, get one of those rubber horse masks, and put it over the Griffin's head, and now it's now it's a Pegasus. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> deliver it to deliver it to uh, Mickey. Can fix it. <laughs> Mickey could fix it. 
He can fix it. He can make the horse mask its face. It'd be okay. Oh, God. Oh, God. It'd just be a Pegasus Griffin, you know? Like, mm-hmm. horse Griffin. Be a little oh, bit different. Oh, God. It'd be okay. Okay, moving on from Lorne. But then we move into Fitchner, who is a much more complicated character. Mm. He is because chaotic he's got evil. Or chaotic he's good. Got chaotic good. Chaotic, he's chaotic good. Chaotic good. Yeah. He's got roots in the first book, though. And I think that's the important part to unpack from Golden Sun is that he has so much impact on that story now, thinking back to him being Ares the whole time and the way that he shaped Mars House mm-hmm. and everything else. Like that, that reveal is so critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That does have me questioning that jam field that they're in. Yeah. When, when Darrow's first talking to him and getting like supplies and stuff and kind of bending the rules a little bit at the Institute, does that jam field also block the signal from the cameras? In yes. The, in the ring? I believe okay. so. Mm-hmm. I okay. believe it blocks everything yep. from sight to uh, <clears throat> sound. It, like any sort of surveillance on them would be blocked. Does it block Is, smells uh, or could could like packs go into one and just rip a nasty fart and trap people inside of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so fascinating, PJ, but I don't think that's even been talked about. No, that's not been discussed at all. That's the first time. But a good question. It could contain farts. (laughs) It could be really smelly. (laughs) Which Severo is very smelly. So like it fits. (laughs) If it fits, it sits. Continue with the hard breakdown of Fitchner. Uh, so he doesn't fart in the jam field. So we can't test that theory. As far as I know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, he 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 has so much going on, and I'm I'm curious. I guess I kind of know how how he gets everything done, and it's through his I guess lieutenants is what I would call them uh, within like dancer and whoever else he has while he's leading his kind of normal life in gold society, which has got to be fucking stressful. Makes him seem kind of like a superhero, <laughs> I imagine. Yeah. Like, no, kind of. I, I definitely agree. He's got a very like Spider Man attitude to some degree. Uh, I was gonna go I with feel Batman. Like Batman's Batman's good. I, I just think Spider Man because like you're hiding. You've got your real persona and then you've got your fake persona. Where in reality, that you're is trying to save people and you're almost kind of mixed and every superhero in existence. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> you described just kind of superheroes in a nutshell in the most vague terms possible. I love Ant Man and I want to be it, left to know. You argued that that specifically described Spider Man. Did I? Yes. Are you sure? Is is that what that was? Okay. Anyway. So Spider Fishner is uh, a. <laughs> Creepy crawling along the walls and uh, blowing up pubs for golds, but not really because that's harmony. Yeah, I was um, about to say that's not true. that's not you, you know, know Fisher or dancer that is that is doing that. That that's so, just straight up harmony. One thing that we never really got to discuss with Fitchner is what's to be done about the sort of splintered faction of the sons of Ares that are acting independently, and and what's to be done going forward if that happens again which it it would that seems like a very natural progression in that sort of slow moving revolution people are going to get impatient 
and people are going to want violence and want carnage. But I mean, I'm sure that'll get answered and I'm sure that it will be addressed at some point. But specifically, I, I'd like to know what Fitchner would have done about it. And I, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think he agreed with Harmony. Harmony. <laughs> is doing. Now you've got me on that. I don't think he would have agreed with what Harmony was doing. And I think he would have wanted to stop her, but probably not through violent means. Right. Yeah. But how? How, how does he approach that? Does he have any any sort of communication with Harmony at this point? Harmony claims so. We don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I mean, obviously, Fisher's dead at the end of Golden Sun, so we well, can pretty much assume no. But... I mean, <laughs> you underestimate the the power of prayer, my good, my good boy. <laughs> as well as the power of PJ's conspiracy brain, which will go off in any direction at any point. I so as PJ had mentioned, <laughs> the prayer <laughs> that maybe she's just pray- praying to Ares to answer her question could actually be like a real thing to some degree. It could be. Where it's not, it's it's less. It it removes itself from a person and it becomes an ideology. But right? but also, like if the sun, she believes, the sons of Aries changes. If she ever had the inkling that Dancer had made up Aries, or Dancer was Aries, or something, or Dancer was some crazy guy thinking he was talking to someone named Aries, she she might have legitimately not believed that there was actually an Aries in this situation. If she hadn't yeah, that, had I mean, direct communication herself, point. she believes in the veil. Right. Like naturally, like most rights do, Mm -hmm. she believes in the veil. So it's not so outlandish to think that a foreign god might be Ares, you know, like a a completely foreign concept. Yeah. Where it's more of an ideology than it is an actual person Mm -hmm. in which Dancer was actually talking to Fishner in Harmony. Never really got that sort of interaction, I don't think. And so there's I mean, there's definitely something to be said about you know, how Harmony goes about this sort of thing. That's that's kind of just her nature is a lot more violent. And she sees the way that she's been treated and she wants she wants revenge. She's not looking towards the bigger picture where, you know, it's it's going to take a lot more of a uh, calculated plan to really destroy the entirety of the golds. She's like a graduated tactus to some degree. Or yeah. not Tactus, sorry, Titus, um, to some degree, right? Okay. Like she is she is on the ground level with the Reds as opposed to Titus being very much just the absolute rage personified in gold form from the Red perspective. <laughs> and and she's just more, I don't know, adjacent to a lot of our other ideologies that we see here. And you have mm-hmm. to keep in mind that she's the one who picked out Titus, who uh, yeah. originally went by like Arnis or something like that. And so she she picked someone who was closer to her, you know, sort of personality. And this is Titus was Titus was carved after Dara was. Dara was the first, I believe, the first red carved into a gold. Let the record show, PJ, that that's actually not a spoiler. That is something that's been in the subtext. Yeah, that's in that's okay. in Golden Sun. I know for a fact. Yeah. <laughs> I just read that part. Okay. <laughs> Talking about all this. And Dancer would definitely pick someone that's more more concerned for, you know, the bigger picture, at least someone who see he sees that would be able to attach themselves to that. And I absolutely think that Darrow was the right choice for that because he does end up realizing, like, you know, uh, especially when he meets with Harmony again and thinks she's the one running the Air- Sons of Ares, when she gives him the bomb and... He doesn't end up blowing it up. That shows just how correct Dancer was in picking Darrow. Certainly. It's it's definitely true. No, I, I totally agree. I think 
the really interesting thing about Harmony's character is that she would pick Titus. She'd pick five Tituses over one Darrow. And that's where Dancer would pick five Darrows over one Titus, right? Absolutely. It's because he'd rather, it's it's the subtle play versus the aggressive play. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that totally inhibits or inhabits all of these characters' mindsets as we think about them and reflect on them. So I, w- I want to talk about something that I don't actually think that PJ and I have a whole lot of license to talk about inside of the story. It's something that I feel like I picked up on undertones of, which is the sort of larger theme of being in the closet as like Darrow's in the closet consistently as this red and wants to reveal his true nature to friends, but fears the reprisal that's going to come from his friends ultimately. And I feel like that parallels sort of the LGBTQ undertone and support inside of the story. I kind of, I kind of wanted to ask you that question and your perspective on that, Tim. Yeah. So to listeners that don't really know, I am bisexual and openly bi. I, I grew up in a very, very controlled environment that was very anti, you know, LGBT and all of that sort of stuff. And honestly, until recently, until you you pointed out specifically, I didn't recognize the parallel between Darrow being in the closet as a red versus like me as a teenager being in the closet about being bi. I honestly did not figure out the parallel until this moment. <laughs> Um, okay well i I just don't want to speak to it you know like it's it's not my place but i felt that you don't know you're free to uh that is absolutely something i recognize now i picked up on a lot of the other other lgbt stuff that was in uh the universe specifically such as like when the jackal mentioned darrow you know sexualizing himself to be to be an important person in gold society when when they first meet and darrow is like oh the mistresses or whatever and he's like oh what are we talking about women and so like it's 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 hinted at the fact or it's not even hinted it's pretty much said that the jackal was trying to get darrow to have sex with a bunch of men to become important the gold culture or in in those sort of circles and i think it was one man specifically wasn't it was it one man i thought it was i thought i thought it was kind of more uh oh it was ambiguous maybe it was ambiguous ambiguous. i I was thinking that the way i had interpreted it was that there was someone specifically that the jackal wanted to get information on and needed someone to seduce him i i agree with you i think he said something elusive like the targets and so it kind of felt, you know, ambiguous to some degree. But yeah, it was it, either way, the at least stands. for me reading it, it was very yeah. ambiguous and kind of more of an open like, you know, he's going to be sleeping with everyone. That sort of thing. Like he, he'll essentially become a pink and gold clothing yeah. in order just to remain alive. And apart from that, me personally, I've I've always been bisexual. I've had I've you know, I've had gay thoughts towards men since I was as, like kindergarten. I can remember times when I was super young where I was attracted to a fellow male person or like male student or male friend. And it was very, very scary for me at the time. And so I can really relate with the fear that Dara was feeling in terms of coming out to his friends. And I think that's, you know, I said that I hadn't really realized that Darrow was in the closet or I hadn't made that connection until now. But as I'm realizing that, I'm realizing so many things. Like his coming out to Severo. Severo knew. So that, that yeah, that's right? the sort it's of a thing big deal. where it's, it's like, big deal. yeah, my friends knew I was bi. They knew I was not, you know, straight. 
But they didn't say anything because they wanted me to come to them. And that was the same sort of relationship that I had with my friends as Darrow had with Severo. And I'm, I'm connecting with that a lot right now. But we had a small conversation, you know, recently in which I talked about how Pierce Brown writes the LGBT community as something that's just normal in society. It's not, you know, it's not showboated. It's not uh, really paraded upon. It's, it's just kind of there. And that helped me realize as I was reading it as a kid, a very sheltered, very sheltered kid. Like I was in parts of cults that, that that's how sheltered I was is I wasn't allowed to really see the whole world uh, for what it was. And seeing how Pierce Brown wrote this story where characters were homosexual or bisexual without having that sort of coming out or like parading or like I said, showboating, it made me realize that these people are normal. This is just something that's normal. This is something that I've been taught was not normal. And that really opened my eyes to allow me to be able to go like, okay, oh my God, like being bisexual isn't the death of, it's like, it's, it's just part of me. And so I've been able to evolve upon that. And, you know, I've had boyfriends, I've had uh, girlfriends, I've had, you know, all sorts of that. Uh, Of course, obviously to uh, my mom's great unhappiness. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but well tell me to laugh at <laughs> i mean i'm gonna laugh so because <laughs> yeah. you're free to laugh i, I don't <laughs> I, I have a very strict or very uh strained relationship but pierce brown has has written these characters and these uh bisexual or lgbt as just just part of normal gold life and it's something that golds aren't taught to hate meanwhile you have the you know, you have the polar opposite where reds are taught to breed like rabbits. They're they're taught to be straight. And so you have that sort of connection with Darrow specifically where he comes up in that sort of lifestyle where, you know, bisexuality and homosexuality and all of that extra stuff isn't really thought about, isn't celebrated and isn't encouraged. And so you have him coming from that lifestyle, going into the gold culture and seeing all these golds act naturally and you do see some sort of that internal conflict with Darrow and some of his his uh, internal conversations. And honestly, all of that, just all of what Pierce Brown has done as a total has really connected with me. And it, I can say that it changed my life as, as a whole. I will not be the same. That's, that's so revelatory. That's incredible. Really appreciate you talking about it. Yeah. To the varying degrees, of course. What I what I think is really interesting, feeding into what you were just saying, is that the sort of perspective on culture, he does make it very normal. I think I had talked about this a little bit with Tactus previously, but like Tactus doesn't even like mentally differentiate between male and female lovers as, as it comes to the gender inside of the series, right? Like there's no, nothing else is talked about in the way of gender, but he's he just thinks about in the in the format of lovers, and I think that that's fascinating. I think that there's a lot of other conversations that exist, but I think that Pierce Brown has painted a beautiful portrait to some degree inside of Golding Sun as a like coming out picture and sort of the nature of trust and the nature of the way that you you reflect on and trust the people that you do, and also like the reason where. If Darrow would have came out earlier, he would have done better. He would have done Mm -hmm. better with so many of his close friends. And he only realizes that, I think, when he hits Ragnar. I think Ragnar is really kind of the breaking point where he's like, oh, shit, 
not only like am, am I causing a cultural evolution, but I'm also moving forward the everyone else. And so it it's so it's so interesting. I, th- I think it's a great narrative throughout the story. Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Darrow, his relationship with Ragnar, and you know, he comes out to Ragnar pretty early, pretty early on in his relationship with Ragnar, <clears throat> and you see how well that turns out. But that's also someone who's outside of the gold culture. He's a, you know, he's a stain. He's a, he's a, he's a, uh, he's an obsidian. So I, I almost think that I don't know. I, I, I come, I, I, I conflict a lot with my opinions on the specifics between him coming out to Ragnar, because like. I feel like some stained would have been so loyal to Golds that they would have sold him out. But we have Ragnar, who's slightly different than the normal stained, who's, you know, just fucking all the pinks they possibly can and f- killing every single obsidian as they can just as part of a game. And so you have Ragnar, who's slightly separate from that. You know, he still he still takes part in a lot of that culture, but he's just very slightly different. And that, I don't know, I I, I, com- I conflict a lot about that. Because, like, I, I feel like so many Obsidians probably would have sold Darrow up. But Darrow, um, you know, comes comes out to Ragnar as a red. And uh, Ragnar immediately turns around and helps him take over that entire ship. So, like... Mm-hmm. Right. I, Big deal. He comes out to Ragnar before he even comes out to De- uh, Severo, doesn't he? Well, or so... Or am I misremembering he, that? So, what's, what's so fascinating about that is actually Darrow doesn't come out to Severo... Severo accuses Darrow, right? So, like, that's that's sort of the basis of that side of the relationship is that it's an accusation, and Darrow finally, like, melts down and agrees to it and understands because, obviously, Severo knows because he had the conversation with Ares slash Fitchner already. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he knows what's going on, but it still feels like a kind of weirdly... I don't know. Like comparing those two, it's, it's so fascinating because Severo yeah. is an accusation and Ragnar is an actual admittance, finally. But he's admitting to a similar low color, which is weird. It's good for the revolution, of course, but it's different. I think the one with Severo is coming out under duress. He he was... That wasn't his choice to come out to Severo there. I don't think. No, not at all. Severo really pushed him for it, but it's it's one of those moments where I don't don't even blame Severo because... It, it, it's it's one of those things that is so like serious in like a big part of the story that Severo like he he obviously hints that he knows and all he wants is Darrow to be honest with him. That's all. That's all any of Darrow's friends want is they want him to be honest with them. And things would have turned out completely differently if he had been honest with everyone. <clears throat> but you know you have you have Severo who already knows. He's already talked to Ares. He's already seen all of this stuff and. He still loves Darrow. Like that's that's incredible, to me. and yeah. that made me that that mm-hmm. that is another thing upon the LGBT thing that uh, that made me realize like my friends aren't gonna hate me. They're going to love me for who I am because they know me for who I am. And you have this sort of thing where you know Darrow comes out to Severo and he's still loved and appreciated and you know cared for, and that's that's just incredible to me. And that that inspired me. I think I think it's a great narrative that kind of runs throughout the series, but it it's so it's it's a difficult concept to fully fully tackle in any amount of time. There's right. just so much under under context, under towns that exist. True. There's also True. the there's the complication of just Darrow and his like we mentioned untrustingness, but also his, his inability to kind of learn from experience in this arena. Like after he gets 
a positive reaction from both Severo and Rocknar for what it's worth. Why do I keep saying Rocknar? It's because of my <laughs> it's I, I don't know. It's my rye. I have a Rocknar rye know. from Far North Spirits. I love it. It's a great rye, but I keep saying it. Rocknar. Anyway, he gets a positive reaction from both of them and like they they don't immediately cut him down and they don't tell anyone. And he's still kind of a baby about talking to Mustang about it. And ultimately Maybe those feelings were properly placed, but he also kind of, he attempted to tell her by bringing her to his mom's house, which is fucking yeah, crazy. Right. All right. So we've done a lot of, a lot of talking around a lot of different things. And I feel like this book is so conducive to so many of the different things that we've been talking about. I feel like it would be natural to move on to talk about a question that I've posed internally I want to post to you guys is if you could inhabit any other character's point of view throughout this novel, who would you choose and why? I think that Mustang would be my POV. Yeah. Okay. Because she is so separated from Darrow's POV for pretty much the entire book. And she sees a lot different than Darrow does. So, like, I want to know her exact thinking behind essentially everything she did and getting close to Octavia and all of that. I want to know all Including of that. the lunchroom scene where she's addressing the Earth cook, of course. Because yes. that's, like, proper <laughs> cooking is the theme of the entire series. So in this imperceptible Earth accent. Yes. Or in, in, well, very, very not, perceptible. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Unintelligible was what I was. Yes. Right. Searching right. for. Gunning for. Yeah. No, I agree. I think especially in that moment, Mustang would have a difficult time and that would obscure her view on the uh, bacon egg scene that otherwise happens. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's good. OK, PJ, if you did choose. So character. I've got two answers. One of them is real and what you're looking for in this question. But one of them is actually what I'm really interested in. <laughs> and I'm going to start with the, the one I would really like to see for sure. Evie. Oh, That's a I want to point. see the the process of the radicalization into a terrorist cell and then the re-radicalization into a terrorist cell acting against the other terrorist cell. And then I want to see the vastness of the jackal's torture lair. That's so interesting. I would have never guessed that that was your answer. Me neither. Never. But... As far as the actual like contents of the book goes and who I would want to see it from, I think it's Fitchner because I think he has a unique perspective of seeing both Darrow in some earnest and the Sovereign in some earnest and and not just from the opposing points of views. He's kind of the he's he's kind of the middleman in all of this. And I, I think he he has probably a lot of access to Octavia and might be able to see what makes her tick a little bit more than anyone else does interesting that's so good pj good work mm-hmm. i'm just proud it's, we just it's the beer talking now. for pj oh also i moved on to another beer this one's out of your neck of the woods kind of so it's a collaboration with fair state which is a brewing co-op minnesota in, in minnesota that i am a member of and burial beer company out of Asheville, north carolina hmm interesting Asheville is not my neck of the woods. It's like six. It's hours North Carolina, away. dude. Yeah, but it's, it's it's so far. Like six hours is a long way inside of the same state. Even crossing. Yes, you live half across the country from me. I just took a bunch of more. If it's in the same state hours. as you, it's your neck of the woods. 
It's only twenty. Shut up and give me this. It's only twenty. Let me have hours. this one. You could drive it could. if you were determined enough in a day. Yeah, but I don't like you that much, and uh, well, I don't fuck want me to. then. <laughs> no, yeah, I great beer. It sounds like a great time. I'm following up with at this point a Voodoo Ranger, which is just classic. Yeah, if it, fair. if it's not clear, we took a little bit of a of, of a drinky break to go get to go refresh <laughs> our drinks a little bit. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I just took a bunch tip. more shots of. Uh, Oh, a bunch whiskey. more shots did you just say yeah <laughs> oh, no quite a all few. right well uh, I just, we're I finishing just started, out the episode strong i just started chugging it and like i'm on the verge of throwing up <laughs> oh my god okay well we've we've got questions to talk about so if i were to choose a character i think it would be most interesting this inside of victor's point of view Ooh. because she is so she's been like part of it is she's so blatantly honest and we understand her as being a very honest character but I, i'd want to see like her internal her like back motivations to a lot of things being like her justifying like i've done this why is no one listening to me i've done this i've i've, I've sacrificed i've done this this and that. Why does no one fucking trust me until Rogue stands up for her? And she's like, okay, well, he's a fuck, but like, yeah, yeah, what he said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just think that would be an interesting perspective to track I, and follow. I mean, there's that one specific part where that's probably her internal monologue, but every other part is just, I want to fuck Darrow and <laughs> oh go God. touch his penis. <laughs> and that's it. That is the rest of the book. I don't, I don't know that's what it is. I don't know that's what it is. Okay, so... <laughs> Moving on from our character <laughs> choices, what was your favorite sci-fi thing that we got here? Meaning like the the metatextual interesting component that we get in terms of like warfare or warfare or warfare, because I feel like that's actually all the cool shit that um, happened here. But maybe also like Orion and other things like that that exist. Favorite sci-fi component of this story? Star shells. Star shells. That's a good choice. Even though they have such fucking massive flaws and not having a mechanical release <laughs> it does seem like a baseline problem yeah <laughs> like they can the be fuck are you doing they can suffocate their their wearers with a mm-hmm. me- like with an electrical failure that seems like a yeah that's that's definitely a big issue <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a, they did not pass the uh what 12 safety tests and uh <laughs> safety crash test dummy tests that every car manufacturer is required to go through mm-hmm. and uh yeah, the cars shame on them crash into planets do they that's true i mean they kind of <laughs> do cars i mean i mean they don't they don't fall from outer space <laughs> <laughs> right right they're, they're not shooting for that the dukes of Tim, hazard your car favorite does. Tip, your favorite sci-fi moment? My favorite sci-fi moment. Um, that's a good fucking question. I, I, I still think that the pulse fists are like the most fascinating thing for me. That's fair. True. That yeah. That's actually a good call, I think, especially inside of this. I think I would append your uh your pulse fist moment with the crashing through the other like the crashing into the Invictus and claiming it as the PAX and sort of that whole thing where Severo mm. also like shoots the other person with the pulse fist and melts them inside of their suit yeah, and everything else like <laughs> that moment to me is so visual and visceral that it sits mm-hmm. with me every time i think about like good scene writing so that's i can't imagine a better moment that's essentially the marriage of both of our answers yeah 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 right yeah it's it's beautiful all three of our answers it's beautiful it's the pulse fist it's <laughs> 
it's a star shell. It's <laughs> crashing into that spaceship, which was also like hinted at in the first couple of pages because Darrow wanted to launch himself into the starship. I remember you know? episode like, one when we talked about that. I was like, so I just, pissed that that did yeah. that I didn't get to see that happen. <laughs> yeah, and then you do, and like it's just it so emotional payoff. It's so good. Yeah, it's no a good question. payoff. Yeah. <laughs> No question. Okay, so moving on from that, what is our favorite scene or moment from this book? I would say the gala by far. Ooh, I okay. The gala love that? the gala. It's 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 just everything surrounding it. You know, the entire fir- the beginning of the book is leading up to the gala, and uh, you have the meeting with the jackal, and then the meeting with the sons, and then you have the actual gala itself, and then the fight with Cassius, and it's just so much of this is compounding and coming together to create this this epic fight between Cassius and Darrow. You have the yeah. jealousy of, uh, of of seeing Mustang on Cassius's arm. You have the anger of finding out that Eo was pregnant. You have all of that coming together in one epic battle, uh, one epic moment where Darrow is not only fighting in himself, he's also physically fighting Cassius. And that to me, and that, that's also showing, you know, it, it, it's 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 a direct show of all the training he's got from Lauren, and that to me was the moment where I was like, "Holy shit! Okay, this is where Darrow is absolutely a fucking badass, an absolute monster." No, yes. I, I, I totally agree with you. Like he he transforms in that moment. <clears throat> definitely, he evolves. Definitely, yeah. yeah. PJ, yours. The monologue from Ragnar to Mustang, where he's talking about how he earned his scars. Oh, that's wow. a good one. That's a good one. That's a that's a good call. Yeah, that was I. I loved he, just getting getting some background, some more like fleshed out background on who this just beast is. Mm-hmm. That and like a, a lot of a lot of the progression of Ragnar I think are some of my favorite moments like when he screams I am a man to that gold before fighting him Carthai right he's a Carthai I love the moment when Ragnar is given a razor Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and he kind of has that has that like you know that that forbidden realization where he's like I shouldn't have this but then it's such a powerful weapon in his hand that he's like okay fuck it (laughs) like yeah that's incredible. <laughs> so it, it says in that I, I, I don't I'm not going to look and find the exact quote, but it's something along the lines of to touch. This is death by starvation. So we're, <clears throat> yep. we're, would the technical punishment be essentially banishment? Uh, effectively. Yes, probably. Yeah, I, I would assume so. Being banished and, you know, you, you'll you'll see more of a lot of the sort of obsidian stuff uh, in in book going three. forward. Okay, yeah, yeah. kind of learn more about that, and so I think I think that it, it in itself will kind of you know become a little bit more obvious as to what it's hinting towards. So I'm not going to get too but, super okay. into that. It's it's a it's a dangerous thing in general. Obviously, for him to grab this, it's it's sacrilegious mm-hmm. to some degree, mm-hmm. and no, he absolutely. comments on that immediately. So it's it's just the nature of like that. Da- dodging kind of the a and b of it so yeah i totally agree with you i think ragnar's moment there is so good i also think that ragnar's entire story there is incredible and also like him not only telling that moment but his post of like saying all of those things and then also choosing not to fight mustang in that moment is so vindicating in so many ways for the the rebellion Mm -hmm. it's so good so 
to to append that, I think my favorite senior moment inside of the entire novel comes down to I, I feel like I'm constantly stuck on the moment where Fitchner reveals himself to mm. Darrow and lashes out and Darrow like kills Carnus and like ships him out the side. It's also obvious, but I think the better moment is the one in which uh, Darrow is confronting Pliny and Lorne is sitting there with his razor extended saying, I'll kill everyone in the room if you get within two meters of Darrow. And the other one of the other goals like gets closer and Lorne calls down. He stabs him. No, 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 no. One of his back. friends stabs him. Right, 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 right. One of his friends stands, stabs him. Sorry, didn't imply that. <laughs> Uh, but like all of that, that scene to me is just perfect. I can mm. I can envision that incredibly, and it sticks in my head as a perfect cinematic moment. Two point three meters, close. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I I personally have a really hard time picking specific moments that I would think would stand out cinematically or anything like that because I am a very um, I lucid dream a lot. So what tends mm-hmm. to happen is I'll read a section of a book. And then I'll go to sleep and I will dream everything that happens that I read. And so I've, I already pretty much have all of the movies or not movies, all of the books played out like movies in my head through all of this. So, like, I, I can absolutely see where you're coming from from that. Yeah, yeah, that tracks. So that's going to wrap up our general summary. Now we've got a lot of questions for PJ to post yeah. here. <laughs> so we've got a lot of questions, to PJ, um, moving forward. So so if I understand correctly... I'm answering questions not from you, Crossland, but from people no. that have interacted with us in some form. Both. Both. Uh, yeah. 100%. None of these questions are actually from me. Some are from Twitter. Some are from Gmail, and they didn't want to, like, put their name on it. Some are from Instagram. Oh, um, okay. So it's it's a, good, it's a good diverse mix. We have a couple of good questions from some of the fellow moderators and fellow contributors inside of the Sons of Aries Discord. The first one I'm going to lead off with is from Blood Silver, who's also a moderator. Do you think in the end Mustang turned on Darrow? No, I don't. I think that would have been much more obvious if she had. And also there was the the comment and conversation between Cassius and the Jackal when Cassius gets there asking where Mustang is. Yeah. So clearly like they don't know that like they don't they don't know where she's at they know that it's a fight between or and and also asked if she was tipped off so they 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 do not have any sort of ties with her in that coup hmm okay <clears throat> interesting okay okay quick prediction you want to read the next one tip yeah sure um from Celine, the discord's resident morality junkie <clears throat> do you think the jackal <laughs> planned this all along or do you think he only started planning it once he found out about it daryl I think I think he probably planned for something. Uh, no, actually, I mean, the, this whole thing, there would, would have been nothing to plan before him finding out about Darrow, because that was before the Iron Rain. And this this celebration is his victory or his uh, his triumph from the Iron Rain. So I don't think he I don't think he was planning on being Darrow's friend. I'm sure he was planning some sort of. To back up, though, to your own thoughts that we talked about previously on the podcast, you are of the mind and were of the mind that, like, the Jackal was tuned into this after the raid, right? Yeah. So how much post-raid was planned? All of it. Jackal. Everything. All of it. Everything post-raid was planned. Interesting. So coming from someone who uh, 
has read this, you know, entire series multiple times. <clears throat> I've read Iron Gold probably four times. I think this is my fifth, fourth or fifth time reading it. I don't, I don't remember how many, how many exact times I've read it, but rereading Darrow's interaction with the Jackal in the, um, in, in, in that cafe that gets bombed or the mm-hmm. bar that gets bombed. Yeah. Jackal, the down. Jackal mentions that he's, he, he wants to be on top. So I think he had yeah. something planned all along um, and he just adapts it to new information he finds out. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's, that's kind of where I was going at. I don't think he was planning on necessarily murdering everybody and exposing yeah. Darrow as a red, but that presented itself and he went with it. Um, yes, he, he is somebody who wants to be on top. No, no doubt. Absolutely. No doubt about that. No question. Totally agree with you. So from Celine again, do Darrow and Roke ever make up? What about Darrow and Cassius? Kind of a twofer, but Darrow and Roke. No, I don't think so. Darrow and Cassius. That's an interesting question. And I think that has more of an opportunity to happen. Okay. I I think they'll, they'll be able to kind of find a common enemy within the jackal even though they've both sort of allied with him in in different respects he is not someone that should be trusted and he he's made that abundantly clear for them so i i think that paired with the uh the fact i keep i keep going back to this cassius is the morning knight that has been established the next book is called morning star so either cassius is dead and darrow somehow becomes the morning knight or Darrow allies himself with Cassius. I have something to say about that. Actually, Morning Star is actually a religious term. It means uh-huh. both. It means both the beginning and the end. It, Morning Star refers to both Satan and God. Yeah, it's it's Lucifer's nickname. Yes, it, it, it's it's very interesting. And so, yeah. coming from more of a religious perspective, I saw the Morning Star as as more of a beginning and the end thing because. In, in, in the Bible specifically, it, re- it refers to God as the beginning and the end. And then it also refers to Jesus as the morning star. So I, I, I saw it as that, as, you know, the last book in the series uh, is why it's named the morning star. And also so having I, the morning star is know, also like the blood <clears throat> instrument that we think of maces as for the most part. Like morning star is blunt mace. Right. It's true. a weapon. So, so I, I'm, to be I'm not trying to invalidate any of that, but I, I think It'd be, You're reading morning to morning. I, directly. I, I think it'd be not ignorant, but naive to think that Pierce Brown wouldn't have some sort of double entendre there. No, I absolutely think he has some sort of double entendre in there. Um, and I, I think he's, you know, he's putting a lot more into the names of the books than a lot of us originally think until after we read the book. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. At least for a couple of the books, obviously, like Red Rising is pretty fucking obvious. <laughs> um, and then dark yeah. age is also like you know it's a dark age it, it's it's pretty it's it's in the name but like oh boy um, oh boy is it yeah <laughs> so like i think pierce brown is pretty obvious with uh with 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 what he's naming them for but i i read i definitely think i read a lot more into morning star than maybe some people would have okay um it's fair but yeah i think um i think there is potential for mending with Cassius. That's fair. Okay. Okay. We'll dictate that down. We'll uh, we'll follow up at the end of the book. Be interesting. So 
or throughout the book, I guess I should say. What implications, this is the next question, does Severo being a half-red have on the story? So that's something I'm curious about. His mother was carved and modified. Yep. His genetics are probably pure red or pure gold. Maybe. That's interesting. Not necessarily because her eggs are still red. Her womb was modified to be able to to uh, be able to birth and hold a gold. But uh, but um, also, <clears throat> her eggs were modified to be compatible with golden seed by by text in this book. Yeah, agreed. So that, yeah, it's it's an interesting question. But like, what implication does that have in the larger story? I guess is where I um I jump onto it. I think it it makes it gives Severo at least. His own internal reason for being on Darrow's team and his own motivations outside of being Darrow's friend to uh, to participate in this uprising. But I mean, that's kind of moot since his father was just brutally murdered. (laughs) So that's probably motivation enough, (laughs) I would think. If what other implications I think. I think it'd be cool to see some interactions between him and actual red people going forward, hmm. whether it be yeah. high reds or low reds or within the Sons of Ares or just on the street. If he walks past a, a red person or on, on a ship, his, yeah. his demeanor and the way he interacts with lower colors in general, I think is going to shift a little bit. I wonder if he's going to stop sleeping with pinks altogether now. Interesting. Because there was that Several conversation. really after he he talked to Darrow about him being a red, where he said, does this mean I can't fuck pinks anymore or sleep with pinks anymore? I can't remember exactly how he said it because I'm going to. But I, I wonder if that changes uh, with that with this sort of perspective shift. It's fair. That's that's actually a really good point um, that I hadn't considered is especially the pink thing. Yeah, because I, I think that like he for the most part, like kind of separates himself from that innately he's not he's not like a pixie traditionally as we think about them with within the gold culture or even a bronzy but like he also like maybe does and we don't like see that from Severo's version it's mm-hmm. interesting right yeah i never thought of Severo sleeping with pinks i don't know why he does say that yeah. though doesn't he no he does you're, no you're, you're right you're right correct. you're absolutely yep. right about that i just never made that connection yeah for some for some reason or another yeah no, no joke. Good, uh, good read there, PJ. Reading no, absolutely. The lines. This is why we're bringing in the newbie. It's not to, like, in between. The, it's literally us. one of the lines. <laughs> well, I, I know, I know, but like the rest of us didn't pick this up. Meaning, two out of the three people on the soul read the book multiple right. times. This is proof that. that I am now the expert, and you're the novice, and we are switching <laughs> sides. I am leading this podcast now. So false. So false. <laughs> we're starting back over. So. Hey, this is PJ. <laughs> a final question for uh, for the PJ that's trying to take over the po- podcast like some kind of, I don't know, red uprising, hmm. imagining that he's as good as I am. But the final question is, where is Mustang among all of the end of the story? Where is she? What's she doing? So what she's up to what she think. There is a there is a time gap. And I th- I th- I've thought a lot about this, actually. And Darrow... I don't think explicitly says he doesn't know where Mustang is. All he says is that he wishes she was here during the trial. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. 
It'd be so much easier if Mustang was next to me, blah, 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 blah. He never explicitly says anything about not knowing where she is. So I'm curious if she's doing something for the cause. Like if, if she's been converted to be working with the sons of Aries at this point and is, is doing something with the triumph being this, the distraction for her mission, whatever it might be. Well, apart from her holding a gun to Darrow, um, what do you think her reaction was to Darrow being a red? Overwhelming. It was clearly overwhelming. The fact that she walked away and went back to the ship and dropped off her clothes with the tracking beacon instead of just going in and shooting him dead where he stands means that she she had to think things through. And I'm coming right. around to that, Crossland. I know you and I had some some pretty in-depth okay. conversations about that. I'm not sure how much of it made it to air. <laughs> yeah, we, we did talk about that at length. So Yeah, but I, I am coming around to your point of view on that a little bit more. That's fair. So I, I think it, it's pretty heavy confliction and a lot of realization probably for the weirdness that has been Darrow since she met him. Probably some crazy... It, it depends on how much she knows from that carving video. She does know that... That mine is where Persephone's song came from. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if she'll make the connection between him and EO on her own in that in that moment. That's a good point. Does he ever actually tell her in Golden Sun um, no. that EO was his wife? I don't think so. No. I don't think he Not does. At all. Not at all. So that's something that she probably would have had to assume. That's he tells someone, like, though. He talks to someone about it. Probably Severo or Ragnar. I think um, he mentioned it to Ragnar. Yeah, yeah I think Ragnar is the right answer there. Thinking okay. about having a relationship, like a romantic sexual relationship with someone, where you think you know you're their their uh, their main person, and they're learning that they had a previous relationship in which someone died so spectacularly for for lack of a you know better word. They're a martyr. Yeah, yeah, they're a martyr. They're you know they they. I meant spectacular, as in like you know it's it's so publicized, it's so shown. Yeah, right. I cannot absolutely, I cannot imagine the heartache that would go through realizing someone has had this huge secret their entire lives, and like the entire time you've known. I cannot imagine that. So like. Her reaction with her pulling a gun on him, to me, is far more than natural. I don't yeah. know how I would have reacted. I still don't know. I cannot imagine. Yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely a lot to process. I don't know. It's, 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 it's almost there. like imagining one of your best friends was actually a monkey in, in their previous life <laughs> and had been transformed into a human to infiltrate society. Like, <laughs> how would you react to Fair. that? Fair. Man, that's that's actually like kind of a fair comparison. It seems so outlandish, but it's I don't know, considering PJ or my buddy Bill or, you know, anyone else like I couldn't imagine either of them being in kind of a similar circumstance to Dara and like need to come up and Mm -hmm. like figure that conversation out with someone like me. If I'm on the outside of that, like being like, oh, shit, I don't know what I can do, but I'll lend my hand to like try to ensure that you do that. Ha ha ha. How, how funny would that be? Ha ha ha! Mm. ha, ha. Are you a robot? Mm. I'm mm. definitely ha. not. 
definitely not a chimpanzee that's been carved to be the peak human form. Our final question before we move into our outro and into next week. Final thoughts on the book. Give give it your postmortem on what you thought of the book. I, wasn't this the first. first question? I know, but like going through the conversation, <laughs> do you have other thoughts going forward? Anything else? Anything else that we missed? So I, I, I think the biggest thing that I'm taking away from this is that there is so much more to this book that I didn't catch. And clearly there is so much more that you guys haven't caught on your multiple read throughs also. And oh, it, yeah. it just speaks to how how rereadable this book is. And uh, I think I'll definitely be doing that. I, I think I'll try to try to maybe I'll just listen to Red Rising and Golden Sun audiobooks. If before, you have not before listened reading. to the audiobooks, oh, they're so they good. I disagree with that idea. Incredible. Hmm? Yeah. You disagree with that I, idea? No, I, I can't disagree yeah. with that idea. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. That's the way I the listen to it. Are I listen to it the first time. Yeah, they're so yeah. good. Yeah. So I, I think I might listen to Red Rising and Golden Sun. I think it, it's something like 25 hours or so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I might do that before we read the first section of Morningstar. Honestly, I suggest that um, you got a week so you could do that. Exactly. Yeah, I I read through every single book again as the new one comes out, and I worked Golden Sun into my reread for the book six. <clears throat> so I've read book book two, Golden Sun, um, approximately four or five times. I don't know the exact amount, but I've read it. I've read it quite a few times, and there's things that you have pointed out, PJ, that I didn't really necessarily pick up on. And same with Cross. I didn't necessarily pick up on my first couple times reading it, even if it affects me like pretty much directly. I didn't pick up on that. So talking with you guys has been kind of an eye-opener for some of the stuff that has been introduced in this book. It's really incredible. Good. We really appreciate that. Like That is a, a monstrous comment to us. Um, so so cannot, uh, cannot be more grateful. As far as this podcast goes in general, I was talking about this before we actually started recording. This During this book is when we actually got to interact in more real time with, with some people that have been listening to the book. Mm-hmm. And it had never, ever occurred to me that a majority of our listenership would be people that had already read the books. I was thinking it would, it would be shifted more towards people like me who hadn't read a whole lot and needed some sort of motivation and some sort of prompt to do some more reading. And I, I felt like this would be a pretty cool way to go about doing that. But hearing that like people like listening to my insights, having not been spoiled by the rest of the book series so far it was really cool to hear so i appreciate you bringing that up too earlier no it's i i love living the books again through another person and so i have <clears throat> such a uh love for watching people read through the book again or like read through the book for, for the first time because <clears throat> as someone who's already gone through that first time and, you know, the second, third, fourth, fifth, for the majority of the books, it's really, really fascinating seeing another person be able to come through the entire series and have have viewpoints that I didn't pick up on. Because, you know, you, 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 would, you would almost subconsciously assume that some... 
someone who's read like uh, the book three or four times would pretty much already know every single subconscious, like or subtextual, you know, hint that there is. And so <clears throat> me being able to relive that through you or any of the other members that come to the Sons of Various Discord who haven't finished it is my favorite thing because it gives me the chance mm-hmm. to, uh, like I said, relive it for the first time through someone else's eyes. And I genuinely don't think there's anything sweeter than being able to do that for something I love. That's awesome. I'm happy to Huge. happy to be wrong all the time in my predictions <laughs> for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's truly great. <laughs> nothing, nothing has been so factually accurate as it comes to the podcast as Peter just being fundamentally wrong. I've been right. So I've been surprisingly <laughs> right on some things. That's no, true. Was, I've actually got a lot of say. emails about like you being so correct on things where it's like, is he cheating? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say he picked up on things that made me feel stupid for not realizing that uh, before I had read the next book. I'm like, how did he guess that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. Sometimes, brain. sometimes it's conspiracy brain. Sometimes it's just <laughs> throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing what sticks. Like, hey, yeah. I mean, if the spaghetti sticks, then it's it's ready. Uh, perfectly cooked. Yeah, <laughs> get more so. spaghetti. More <laughs> you know it's uh it's definitely something it's a uh, space no i i totally agree i'm so glad you got to hang out for this episode yeah this was glad. great this is awesome it's it's a great time i had a great right. I had an amazing time i i've had so much fun it, before before we close out with our stuff do you want to just run through yeah how to, how to get on that a little yeah bit. the server or whatever whatever you want to talk about oh god my Twitter is at Tibind. That's T-I-B-B-I-N-D, as in Tib Industries. And the Sons of Aries Discord, you can uh, hopefully find it on the, the Sons of Aries I'll, Reddit. Uh, I'll link the, the to Red it Reddit. in the podcast as well. Or, yeah, so it'll that, be that's, linked that's perfect directly. too. Yep. The Sons of Aries Discord is is honestly the thing that really changed everything for me. I came into the Sons of Aries Discord in uh, late 2017 when it was first made. Um, and I think I was one of the one of the first like 15 members in and immediately I fell in love with the community. And I think we have grown so much since then. We have over 700 members and we're continually growing. <clears throat> we have great conversations. We have a lot of fun. We have occasional game nights. We have occasional movie nights where we all get together and play like I don't know if you've heard of Jackbox, but we play like Jackbox oh, yeah, games. Of course. Yeah, uh, which are a bunch of party games, and we just get to know each other. And there, there's something really personal about the Sons of Aries server that I have grown attached to, and I genuinely don't think I could spend the rest of my life without having um, realized the impact that this server and the community has had on me. So I, I do, yeah. I do have a question from your point of view. Would it be safe for me to join that server to avoid sp- and still avoid spoilers? Um, I would say don't join until after you finish Morningstar. Okay. Because yeah, at the um, very least, book yes. three. Okay. B- yeah. The first, the first four books are technically open game, but no one really open games the fourth book. That's typically kept to Iron Gold spoilers. So you have a specific channel for it. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we have a specific channel for Iron Gold spoilers and all spoilers, uh, as well as each part of Dark Age. 
<clears throat> so we really try to allow for as much conversation as possible without spoiler territory. I, I'm without, just always so jealous know, of Crossland everyone. interacting with people, and I don't get to. <laughs> I can't wait for you to be part of that. I yeah, I'm excited to you will be part uh, a great part of the community pj i i'm very excited for you to be uh to be able to join well good yeah good. it's it's such a good time and i i cannot recommend it higher um for anyone who's a fan who hasn't heard of it please dear god this is a great point to interact with everyone else who loves this series in every way shape and form and also like other things that people love Inside of the group, there's a there's a fascination with Brandon Sanderson. Although I don't mm-hmm. love his prose, he's still uh, <laughs> obviously people love him. And, among like a number of other writers and uh, books, TV shows, anything else, you can chat about literally anything. Cannot recommend more. This is a very server based on Red Rising first, but then it just becomes a community afterwards. So mm-hmm. I it's, appreciate uh, that. it's a good time. I, I've I've worked very hard to make this server active and uh as welcoming as possible and um i don't i don't know if you know this you probably don't but back when iron gold first released the server died like completely died there was almost no conversation for like four months and i came back full force you know uh starting conversations and starting the iron gold read through before uh dark age was released and i essentially um with the help of uh blood uh, blood uh blood silver another member uh moderator of the silver uh of the server who asked some questions to pj earlier yes who did have some questions to pj earlier yep him and a couple of other people we really launched the server into a new age and um, I'm genuinely surprised it's kept its momentum this long. We're yeah. still very active. I get hundreds of messages a day from the server. And it's so much fun and so much activity that I do not know, do not know where my life would be without the server. I absolutely love it. I mean, in so, fact, to be told, you are the sovereign of the server. So yes. you're in charge of, of the whole shebang. Um, (laughs) yeah to be fair i am rank number one on the server (laughs) so i have the absolute most activity out of anyone there (laughs) did you create the server did you inherit it i did not actually um morning night owns the server i'm just a moderator i don't have any uh like grip on the actual like lifeline of the server i I i'm just a moderator and i only got there because of the iron gold read through uh, I was but Tib is the prolific yes. member. Of the Pretty story. much, okay. I'm. Yeah. I, I I hate to you know. Uh, to All the moderators are great. Let's let's not yes, sound talk anyone. All the moderators are amazing. Morning, night, Dio, Blood, and me. That's the the four moderators currently. We're currently looking for a couple more, but. All of us were very. Uh, we're pretty active. You know, we we try to keep in as much conversation as possible, and. You know, I, I'm I like to think that I'm pretty friendly. I'm very open. I'm very, you know, accepting of uh, pretty much the majority of lifestyles. <clears throat> and I like to be as welcoming of a person as possible because I, I know how how conflicted my viewpoint was. <laughs> wouldn't um, have guessed that at all. You seem very <laughs> no, big and open, very like close. Yeah, I, I'm very I'm such a bigot. Oh my god. You such a no piece idea. of shit. Tim is just a piece of shit. When when new people join and they're like gay, I'm just totally off on them. Oh my god. 
<laughs> you went way further than we were going. So, Tib, final note. If anyone needs to find you, what's the best way to do so outside of uh, hiring Liam Neeson? <laughs> um, well, the best the best place to find me would be um, either Discord, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, my Discord is Tib, uh, that's T-I-B-B, hashtag uh, 8535. Uh, so you can add me on, uh, on Discord. I pretty much add everyone back uh, because of my status as a moderator. I'm pretty much adding pretty much everyone. So you can reach me via there. Uh, you can reach me via Instagram, which is Tib underscore animations. That's T-I-B-B underscore animations. And that's with an S. Uh, <clears throat> I post a lot of... Actually, I don't post much on my Instagram, but what I do post tends to be my art. <clears throat> and Which is good, sort of for the record. At the yes. record show. <laughs> I, yeah. I appreciate that. I don't think it's good, yeah. but uh, I do a lot of dice making. I do a lot of drawing, mm. uh, a lot of painting, you know, pretty much everything art related animation. Obviously, that's that's what the uh, account is named after. I, I, I love 3D animation and um, <clears throat> modeling, that sort of thing. So I'm trying to get a lot more into that. But um, Twitter is at T-I-B-B-I-N-D. That's Tibind as in Tib Industries. And I post uh, quite a bit more on there. I'm, I'm definitely a lot more active on my Twitter. And I will respond to any tweets or uh, DMs. Fantastic. Fantastic. Super cool. So glad to have you. Thank you yeah, for coming was, on our show. This was awesome. It was, yeah, it was actually no, such it was, a good it was time a pleasure. To, to talk through all this shit. So, uh, such I'd a pleasure. Time. I've been I've been very honored uh, with being invited and uh, being a, being a very welcome guest. I felt so welcome here, and you guys are amazing. So I, I well, this is su- such a fun experience. Good to hear. So cool. So cool. So with that, we move into next week. So the the entire rest of this week is going to be slam packed on Thursday. Obviously, day you're getting a special episode, which is this episode. You've already listened to it, and then on Thursday. <laughs> You're going to be getting two episodes. The first episode is going to be an episode with PJ and I talking about Morningstar and our intro to the book and our thoughts on a couple of different characters that will live or survive or otherwise, as well as the short story episode that we talked about for the last couple of episodes, which is Desert Sun by Pierce Brown as a part of From Another Perspective, which is a novel that details a couple of different short stories inside of the Star Wars universe, of which Pierce Brown was invited to write one about Biggs Darklighter. So we're going to be talking about that. If you have been listening to us for a while, another person on in that book is Chuck Wendig, who wrote Product Placement, which we also featured on the show. So... Yeah, and he's he's also written a brilliant trilogy inside of the Star Wars universe that leads up to Episode Seven. Interesting. So I I would highly recommend that series to nearly anyone and everyone. And also, like one of the characters is inside of the Mandalorian. So just let it's, that live. It's pretty good. I've read it. Uh, it's so <laughs> good. Yeah, Cobb is such a good character. Anyway. That's where we'll leave you for the week. Continue to refer us to any of your friends and anyone else that you think might be interested. Please, dear God, leave us a review on any of the podcast networks that you like. Subscribe where you follow us. Anything that you listen to, any feedback that you give us, we love and adore. We will talk about it. We appreciate it so much. As as dictated by Tib throughout this episode, Like we get a decent amount of feedback that's indirect. 
all the direct feedback would just feed us back more into like us commenting on it throughout mm-hmm. the episode. Yeah. So um, obviously, like we ask for reviews and ratings and stuff, and that's that's just to get out to to more people's ear ear holes, so to speak. But um, <laughs> really, what we love is the interaction with people that listen to us. So our email account, which is words and whiskey show at gmail.com our social media at words whiskey pod on both instagram and twitter and anytime we have interaction it's always always a lot of fun any any sort of questions you have for us any sort of like comments whatever we are happy to hear anything you've got to say please uh have a great day yeah sorry that that you're done with golden sun like i am we're super sorry that you're out of books to read until the next book. Um, it's going to be super you can, exciting. You can continue on and read. I can't because Crossland is a dictator <laughs> and he won't let me read it until I record the intro episode. <laughs> you deserve that pain. You deserve that pain. You deserve that pain.